Hey everybody, welcome into another edition of Tone on the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is episode number 103, and as always, it's a production of John Boy Media. We talk pitching each week here on Tone on the Slab. It's with the five-time World Series champ, David Cohn, former Sang Award winner as well. The ace of research, James Smythe, myself, Justin Shackle, uh, our excellent producer, Dan Work is with us as well and david is back from his journey from williamsport pennsylvania for the little league classic that took place on sunday phillies and nationals david what is uh the coolest thing that you saw on sunday in williamsport with those little leaguers so many things uh you know it, it was a perfect storm because the team you know team from media pennsylvania was in it was in the tournament and obviously the local favorite. And there was 25,000 people there. It was an unbelievable crowd, very partisan crowd. And then just so happened that the Philadelphia Phillies were the team from obviously from, from Pennsylvania that was there playing that day. And to see the, the Phillies players interact with the, the home crowd there, the, the, uh, the, the local Pennsylvania team, it was just remarkable. Bryce Harper was emotional watching the games, just watching Bryce Harper. Gets, get goosebumps during the Little League game, watching and cheering and leading the cheers and how locked in he was on that game and then how emotional he was talking about it afterwards to me really brought me back home to my Little League days. And that's what it really is. There's always a trigger there. When you go to Williamsport and you watch those games, you can't help but think about, wow, man, I remember remember my mom or my dad. You know, there's some memory of Little League that that gets triggered that brings you right back to it. It did for me. Bryce Harper was that guy for me when I saw how he he reacted to it all. I love it. This is like another endearing moment for Bryce Harper in his career. Like I think they just keep growing and growing as the years go by with with Bryce. Uh, did you make it down the hill by any chance? I did not. I didn't have time to make it down the hill. We did the eleven o'clock game, uh, the, the Pennsylvania game against Rhode Island. It was, was a great game, by the way. Rhode Island played it exceptionally well and. You know, the pitchers were the, the Rhode Island starting pitcher had, had was throwing breaking balls to both sides of the plate. He was pitching like I pitched back in 1992, backdoor sliders, throwing it down and away, starting it at the right hip of right handed batters. So it was just just remarkable to, for me to see stylistically uh, the level of play, how good these young guys are, how good, how well they're coached and how, you know, to me, the Little League motto, too. You didn't see arguing with umpires. You didn't you know, there's sort of this this mantra within little league uh, that, that, you know, the parents they're prepared. Hey, this is, there's a code of conduct. This is how we act. the coaches don't bark at the umpires. You know, they, they may go out and question a call here and there, but for the most part, the behavior was exemplary across the board, fans, parents, coaches, umpires, all really, really well done. Well, we'd love to see that for sure. Uh, ne next August, literally classic Yankees and tigers. So, uh, Hopefully you get out there for for that one. I tell you what, I think I think for like a, maybe like a month period, all the cardboard in the world probably gets redistributed to Williamsport, Pennsylvania. So those kids can have something to slide down on. I don't think it's bring your own, right? Like everyone comes down with their own piece of cardboard. I saw Jess Mendoza's son race down in a makeshift like car made out of cardboard and they were running some other kids over. So that was a, a interesting sight to see. Yeah. Yeah, there's always cardboard. You can find cardboard. People, you know, you, you should bring your own probably, but there's always some there. Yeah. All right, let's get into this episode here. Uh, lots to talk about, especially uh, in the American League. We're going to go AL heavy here with between the wild card races that could be turning into division races in the AL West. Also focus a lot on the AL East as well. But let's begin like we do each week with the opener. David, what do you have for us? Well, I think it's probably a good time to, to take stock of the, the game and where it's going, which direction it's going athletically with the rules changes, who's having success this year, who's ahead of the curve, adapting to the new rules, have have the new rules done what they, they were supposed to do in terms of initiating more base running, more, more uh, movement with the lack of the shift, uh, the pitch clock, certainly. I think all of, all of these rules have had an impact on the game, but trying to dissect Who's taking advantage of it? Who's ahead of the curve? Maybe a young athletic team like Cincinnati uh, certainly has jumped to the forefront a little bit. So my question is to you guys is, have we seen enough? And is the direction going to change to where we're going to see less of sort of the three true outcome player, the the booming exit velocity guy who walks and uh, hits homers and strikes out a lot? Now, is that guy, is that player 
gonna gonna kind of go uh, get pushed to the side a little bit. Our, our organization is gonna draft differently, develop differently. Um, are we gonna see a different style of player become more valued in the future? And uh, I, I still think home runs are important, obviously. But uh, I'll turn it over to you guys and see. You know what? I, are you behind the curve now organizationally if you're still looking for those type of players? If you're still looking for the big exit velocity, the three true outcome style of a player in, in your acquisition process, or uh, do you do you need to revamp your whole philosophy as an organization? Well, I think there is a change, and we've seen batting averages tick up, but they're up five or six points in the last couple of years. Still uh, a high strikeout era you know strikeouts are down a little tiny bit but nothing crazy and home runs are still very high it's not like it was in the the juice ball years 2018 2019 those were some of the biggest home run seasons of all time but 2023 is still up there in the top 10 top eight for uh for home runs per game so we are seeing a little bit of a shift but i don't think it's going to be a seismic change even stolen bases way up from last year with with the new rules and, you know, there was some thought that we would be going back to like the 1980s and, and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and all that. And, you know, stolen bases are up about uh, three quarters of a, of a steal per game. But we're basically back to the rate that we had in the late 90s, which is right in our wheelhouse there, Shaq. And uh, being a 90s kid, you'd see guys like Tony Womack and Kenny Lofton steal bases. And, you know, you'd still there was room for the 60 and 70 steal guy which now you're bringing that back. And it's about, well, what kind of players are, are succeeding? It's like, you want an Ellie De La Cruz, right? You want a, a, a big, flashy, exciting, does everything on the field, more well-rounded play. That doesn't mean that, you know, the three true outcome type of hitters are going to go by the wayside because you can still be very productive with a high strikeout rate. You know, Luis Robert is that kind of hitter, even if, you know, he's, he's great in the field, but he also has power. And it makes up for a high strikeout. I think just from the era that James and I were growing up in, I'd, I'd like to see more parts of the whole player type, for for lack of a better term. I, I like more pieces to the puzzle. Athleticism, to me, more often than not, is not going to fail. So I think that's very important. And the, the thing that always held me up on the quote-unquote three true outcome guys, their ceiling is obviously really high, and we often get – blinded by that it's so tantalizing but we're learning in my opinion as time goes on and on that yeah the ceiling is really high but the floor seems to be pretty low as well more often than not there are some exceptions Luis robert is a good example there too but um i i think that's where you kind of fall into dangerous waters you don't want to be swimming in those waters where you have those high ceiling guys you're you know, you get you get smacked in the face by all that extraordinary potential, but the, you're more often than not operating at a lower floor. So that's what I look out for. I'm for athleticism in any type of fashion uh, moving forward. I think that'll just make the game uh, a, a better product overall. Um, the Boston Red Sox. Let's let's get into this AL wild card race, guys. Uh, it's getting tighter. It's getting more entertaining thanks to the Seattle Mariners. But let's talk about the Boston Red Sox here. They took advantage of a weak part of their schedule. Now, it's going to get tougher in the weeks to come. But the Red Sox have made themselves a player, in my opinion. Right now, they are in the middle of a 10-day stretch in which they are playing the Astros seven times and the Dodgers three times. Big weekend series over at Fenway Park. I am wondering, where will Boston be at the end of this current 10-day stretch in your eyes? I think they can hang in there. It is a real test. It's a great point, Shaq. Their, their pitching is being supplemented again. Chris Sale's back. Nick Pavetta is kind of reborn, come full circle, went through the car wash in the, in the bullpen, came back out the other end, and is really kind of settled back in. His stuff is really good. That curveball's still there. Uh, when you think about Cutter Crawford's taking another step, too, that he can keep them in games and really has been a big surprise. How about James Paxson? Had a really good year there. I mean – all of a sudden, he's got like 17, 18 starts on the year and really good numbers over a strikeout per inning. So, uh, you, you, and Tanner Houck, Houck is coming back as well. So, I think right at the right time, they've got the reinforcement on the pitching side that can match up with their offense. Now, the problem with the Red Sox has been kind of defense. Uh, you know, they're not the, the most well-rounded team 
uh, athletically and it shows up on the defensive end of things. But anytime you've got pitching to supplement at the right time, they've got a, a very good chance to come out the other end and stay right in the thick of this race. They've got leadership in that clubhouse too. Justin Turner has been a great acquisition for them so much so that they said, we're not going to trade this guy. A lot of teams were asking for him at the trade deadline. And it's like, nah, I think, I think we'll keep this guy. We kind of like having him around and he has been terrific as Yankee fans know. He, he was a wrecking ball in the Bronx uh, in the recent series and the recent sweep. So yeah, watch out for the Red Sox. I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on the Red Sox. I'm a little less. So they went nine and four on a good stretch against the Royals, Tigers, Nationals, and Yankees. But where are they going to be at the end of this little stretch? Probably still on the outside looking in. Now, maybe they can hang around, but it's Astros, Dodgers, Astros. And it doesn't get much easier after that. They have a series with the Royals, but then, boom, Rays, Orioles, Yankees, Blue Jays, Rangers again. And next thing you know, you're in the last couple of weeks of the season. I don't know how they're going to make up ground on both Toronto and Seattle. They uh, enter play on Tuesday, four games out of a playoff spot. They got to jump over Toronto and the Mariners and Seattle. We'll get to them in a little bit, but they are entering a very soft portion of their schedule. That, like the Red Sox just had the Mariners playing the White Sox, Royals, A's, Mets. So you have a, you have a stretch here going up to Labor Day where you're, you can rack up some wins here and kind of give yourself a little separation, not just from Toronto, but from the Red Sox. If for a lot of this season, it's felt like the Red Sox, when they're on the doorstep of really breaking through, blowing the door open, going on in a really nice run, they kind of let you down. They let their fans down. But this stretch, they they came out solid. I'm kind of with James. I think they're, you know, at the end of this 10-game stretch, they could perform well, but yet may not make up too much ground. So um, I, I'm intrigued, like, I'm going to be watching the Red Sox in September until they prove me wrong because call me crazy. And like James said, we're going to talk about the Mariners and some other teams out West in a second, but I, I still think there's a chance that the AL East could have four teams make the postseason. Would I bet on it happening? No, but uh, I won't be shocked here. Uh, uh, the Red Sox with their starting pitching, like David said, kind of reinventing itself. They're getting Tanner Houck back. The X factor for me is, Chris Sale, and that's kind of saying a lot at this point, but if he can just somehow obviously remain healthy, but stabilize the rotation just through September, I don't think that's asking for much from Chris Sale. I think this season, at least, the bar has been lowered for the Red Sox to just make it into the postseason. I feel like that's all we're talking about here. So I think they they could be making a, a run that's good enough to grab that final wild card. Uh, all I'm saying is that it would not shock me for sure. Trevor Story, Trevor Story too. Mm -hmm. You know, if he could get it going, I mean, he's kind of started out slowly so far, but he's he's enhanced their defense. You know, just being there defensively helps. So, can he get the back going? Could be a big deal for them. Yeah, and that combo of Devers and Turner batting together uh, in the middle just to start it off there, and then leading to Turner down the line. Uh, it's a uh, it's something. We saw it in the Bronx this weekend with, with Justin Turner and Raphael Devers. Folks, more Tour on the Slab is coming up. I need to tell you about Launchpad because you see this thing right here if you're watching the YouTube stream. This is a reinvented baseball thumb guard by Launchpad. It's designed for fit, feel, and performance. And unlike other thumb guards, Launchpad is asymmetrical and it's hand-specific. Like your glove or your shoe, it is there for the best possible fit and has left and right-handed models i'm a lefty lefty model right here uh launchpad has a unique bat shaped channel that gives an extra low profile shape a natural rocking motion in your hand and also a whole ton of protection against that shock from the pitch that misses your barrel the channel has a central pivot point that rocks and cradles your bat so you have that gentle feel it mimics the way that your bat's going to move and feel when you are not wearing a thumb guard ultimately when you fire your hands, your bat's going to launch immediately with maximum acceleration and force. Go check it out. It's at www.launchpadthumbguard.com. That's launchpadthumbguard.com to learn more and try one for yourself. The, the Red Sox are playing the Astros right now. They'll be playing them uh, in next week as well this time. Uh, the Astros, kind of a rocky patch with their rotation. 
They have a 7.94 ERA in the rotation over the last six games, and it's happening from all angers. Framber Valdez, Justin Verlander hasn't looked spectacular. Um, How many more clunkers can the Astros starting rotation afford here, guys? Well, it is interesting, you know, and they, since you put it that way, yes. It, it, to me, the, you know, it, it's it's sort of, um, are they, you know, sometimes back in the 90s with the Yankees, when you're in postseason every year and you have deep seasons every year, that really wears down your pitching. That's what I noticed um, going through that. And I kind of wonder with Houston, you know, those guys kind of kind of worn down a little bit from from deep playoff runs of years past and, you know, I, I'm curious as, as we get down and finish up the dog days here through August and then get into September. That was always the time I got sort of a second wind in September. Once you get through, get through the dog days and then, and then maybe you, you get a little bit of a break in September. Uh, but nonetheless, it's a valid question. I think they're going to be okay. I think they will write the ship. I still like the top two. I still like Fromber. I still like uh, uh, Justin at the top. But the, the rest of the rotation, I'm a little curious about. You're right. And I'm not sure about the overall depth of the rotation, which makes it even more important that they traded for Justin Verlander, you know, regardless of, of whether we, he hasn't been top shelf performance as, as of yet. Uh, he His track record's long enough. He was throwing the ball well enough with the Mets at the end that you know that he's going to get it going, that – that, that he, he's somebody you can rely on. But yeah, the overall depth is a problem, I think, at this point. Verlander, you don't worry about. Framber Valdez, absolutely not worried at all. But it goes to show that even a great team like the Astros, things can go wrong when you put a lot of your eggs in the basket of, of young pitching because they're going to have their ups and downs and and a bit of inconsistency. So I mean, you, you watch Christian Javier last year and you think, wow, how does anyone ever get a hit against this guy? He's taken a step back this year, especially in the last couple of months. And Hunter Brown has uh, asserted himself as a as a as a big league starter, but he's slumped too. And so these two guys really got off to a great start, but they've backslid. Where now both are below average for the season because of the the lumps they've taken. So Javier had a three seven two ERA uh, at the end of June, but in eight starts since he has a six two five ERA. And Brown, he came into July at 3.62. And his ERA is over six as well. And you worry about fatigue, you know, for, for young pitchers, you know, in, in, in a long 162-game MLB season. But as far as – I don't think this would jeopardize their, their playoff chances, but it's something that could be a roadblock in their quest – Last couple of weeks has has made me think about, I'm not questioning yet, but it's made me think about whether or not they're going to be gassed by the end of this season. But um, I think, James, we're on the same wavelength here. Like we look at the schedule at this point of the year as sort of like the fallback option here. And the Astros have a, a pretty favorable schedule in September that'll give them the chance to kind of reset the rotation you know they're obviously uh gonna have a, a tough 10-day period here with the red sox they have a, a detroit offense mixed in they're not exactly world beaters so they have some young talent there the yankees and their offense we know the story there that's all before they have a, a massive three-game series with the uh with the rangers starting on labor day but after that almost the entire month of september they are facing teams with losing records and it's just a chance to get their ducks in order. I'm talking about series with Oakland, two series with Kansas City. You have San Diego in there. Obviously, they can perform on offense, but you never know what you're going to be getting. So there's there's that chance for them to right the ship, uh, especially in September. But it's going to be interesting. Is it a mix of performers who have kind of proved their worth in October? Uh, you know, being a little bit gassed after all that workload, and is it? a combination of some of the younger starters like Hunter Brown not experiencing this push before in his career. That's another factor of potentially a, a pitcher getting gas. So it's different avenues to that, that point where you might be running out of steam, but you're running out of steam uh, nonetheless. So it's getting crowded at the top of the AL West, the, the Astros they're struggling. The Rangers are struggling here and here come the Seattle Mariners. They've, 
finish an eight-game winning streak. They lose a couple. And what happens next? A seven-game winning streak at the time that we're recording this here. They pounded the White Sox on Monday night in Chicago. Julio Rodriguez is just taking over the offense here. And even on a night where he rests, the offense puts up 14 runs. So the Mariners are feeling it. I think a lot of us felt like they could perform and be this team. It's just taken them nearly three quarters of a season to, to finally do it and fall into this rhythm. So yeah, the Mariners right there in the thick of things with the wild card, but are we believers in the Mariners potentially winning the AL West here? Well, I would not put it past them because of their pitching. You know, we've been bullish on their pitching for a while now. We've talked about it a few times here on the podcast and how much we, we love their pitching, especially their rotation, their starting rotation in particular. Um, you know, they're they're all just hitting on, on on all cylinders right now. They have great diversity, different looks, different styles. I think that matters. You know, I talked about uh, stylistically diversity matters, both offensively and defensively and and certain defensively by meaning pitching. Um, so, yes, I would not put a pass them. They're playing well. You know, I thought when Jared Kelnick uh, broke his foot, kicking, you know, kicking whatever he kicked uh, in, in, in frustration that day, that that was going to be really hard for them to overcome. That was, that was a, that was a real blow for them offensively because he had turned the corner this year, but they picked it up and uh, Julio Rodriguez is who he's supposed to be. And, and how about Cal Raleigh behind the plate? I mean, you talk about a, you know, a, a really good young catcher in the game today. I don't know. Yeah, he, He's got to be up there, you know, just in terms of the way he swings the bat, the way he handles that pitching staff. I don't think he gets enough credit for it's, it's hard to, it's hard to quantify putting the right fingers down. Although we don't put fingers down anymore, <laughs> pushing the right buttons, I guess you'd say calling, calling a good game, reading the bats along the way, a little bit of uh this is what the scouting report says. So to me, that's a blend strategically pitching nowadays. And I think Cal Raleigh does this better as well as anybody out there. It's sort of blending the redundant strategy of identifying your best pitch and throwing it more over and over again, but also being able to adjust on the fly and read bats and, and adjust inning to inning. Uh, sometimes the, the pitcher's best pitch isn't working in one particular inning. It might come back the next inning. For me, it was my slider. Sometimes one inning, I didn't have a feel for my slider, so I had to find something else to get through that inning. And a redundant strategy of throwing my best pitch over and over again wouldn't have worked in certain situations. And that's where you need a catcher to, to push the right buttons and to read that and to know his pitching staff. And, you know, I, I could riff on this all day long about modern-day pitching and pitch calling in particular and the identification of strengths and weaknesses and going with your strengths more. But at the same time, you've got to have some – Got to have some leeway in there to 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 learn your craft, so to speak, to to make adjustments on the fly. And uh, I think uh, just watching Seattle pitching and watching the game calling from Cal Raleigh, I think he is one of the best out there and underrated in my mind. The Mariners, he's done a great job handling a pitching staff that's one of the best in baseball. They're sixth in starting pitcher ERA. And they're third behind the Yankees and Braves in reliever ERA. So that's a pretty great combination. And as far as their chances in the AL West, why not at this point? Because all year long, it was the Rangers leading the pack. And we're kind of waiting for the Astros to go on their run. The Astros are, are winning plenty of games. The Rangers have matched them step for step. So they're still in front. But now here come the Mariners. And it's not just, you know, a stray winning streak here. They're on a 15-4 and four run since the start of August and since July started 32 and 13 best in the American league. And we talked about their schedule before white Sox, Royals, A's, they can get some wins to stay in the pack. And, and here's their finish. This is how they're finishing the season. The final 10 games of the year, three games at Texas, three games at home against Houston, four games at home against Texas. So you have seven games against the Rangers and three more remaining against the Astros, who you've beaten a lot this year. The, the Mariners went eight and two so far this year against Houston. So if they're only a couple of games out by the time we get to the last week and a half of the season, why not the Mariners to you know go on a seven and three, eight and two run and jump over those teams to grab the division? It'll be fun. Yeah, no division's going to have a more electric final week than the, than the AL West at this point. Uh, just thinking about that schedule right there. Um, Cal Raleigh, by the way, 10 home runs in the last 20 games. So it's, it, it obviously isn't just Julio Rodriguez leading 
this offense. There have been other pieces that are performing really well over this three-week stretch here. But, David, you brought up something that I, I would need to ask a question here because you talk about Raleigh convincing you know your pitcher throwing that same pitch over and over again. Monday night in Chicago, Luis Castillo tossed seven full innings, struck out nine. He threw 47 consecutive fastballs in this start. What is the most dominant starting pitching performance with one pitch that you can think of? Wow. I mean, I, you know, I, the difference being is we can measure pitches now so you can identify which pitches are working, which pitches, uh, you know, have, have the highest quality to them, whether you, you evaluate by vertical or horizontal movement or spin rate. So, so certainly you, you have more information to be able to do that nowadays. But with that being said, you know, like, the the one dominant pitcher that comes to mind is not a starting pitcher. It's Mariano Rivera throwing one pitch his whole career. I mean, that is he's he's the he's the answer, the end all answer to, to that question. Eh, who's who had one pitch and dominated? That that would be Mariano Rivera, but he was a closer. Um, you know, I I've seen I saw Rocket Clemens uh, you know, dominate with his fastball, you know, even back to his 20 strikeout games, his first 20 strikeout game that night to just to, against the Seattle Mariners. He, he was dominant that night with his fastball. And that, that was in an era when if you threw the ball a hundred miles an hour, like he did, you, you were few and far between. And nowadays, obviously it's a little, little bit different today in today's game with high velocity across the board. But back then in his first, first 20 strikeout game against Seattle, that was unbelievable. He was blowing people away. Now he threw sliders too as well, but his fastball was unhittable that night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So you have the Mariners obviously making a ton of noise. The Astros and the Rangers right there as well. Going to stretch us a little bit further here with the AL West. And I, I, this may be a little too impossible given the standings, but let's touch on the Angels here. Uh, Mike Trout could be returning at some point this week. There were reports that he may be re returning from the injured list uh, Monday. The, the game with the Angels and the Reds was postponed. They're going to play a doubleheader on Wednesday. He could return this series with uh, Cincinnati, but still at the moment, we're waiting for him to be activated with that timetable. I am wondering, though, if Mike Trout is activated and returns here in the next week or so, is it too late for the Angels despite his return? Uh, I know they have multiple problems right now. Their starting pitching has kind of been spotty, so he can't just be added to the rotation per se, but uh, the Angels at this moment, nine games back in the wild card race. It would have to be an incredible run, but it is Mike Trout. So can it happen? Well, mathematically, that, that's what you tell yourselves in, in the clubhouse. And I think sometimes fans or or the media gets tired of hearing the same thing over and over after after another loss or after a team that's underachieving. Aaron Boone certainly has learned that this year in the Yankee fan base. It's like, come on, tell us something different here after another loss. And then, what are you going to say? I mean, that that is there's an art to sort of threading the needle as as far as ex expressing frustration to kind of the show the fan base, you know, uh, the frustration, the inside look at how we really feel, and then secondarily still re remaining positive as a professional. Hey, we've got to show up and win tomorrow. No, we just lost nine in a row, ten in a row, whatever it is. You know, in the clubhouse, you you still try to pump your guys up and say, hey, we can still turn around and win 10 in a row tomorrow. And that's the way you have to think as a professional. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to be realistic. I think with the Angels, you know, it's a long shot. But everybody wants to kill the Angels and say, you should have traded Shohei Otani. I've even heard uh, some people call it malpractice, you know, pundits in the industry saying, you know, you, you, you set your organization back several years by not trading Shohei Otani. Do they still have a chance? Of course, mathematically they do. Uh, they're, they're still drawing very well because of Shohei and they get Mike Trout back. Who wouldn't want to watch them play? They're the superstars. You won't know if the strategy worked unless until, until you find out where Shohei Otani signs. 
I still think he they have a chance to sign him back, whether they make it to the postseason or not. I think he likes it there. I think he's a creature of habit. Uh, they have as good a chance as anybody to, to re-sign him, and that's the ultimate judgment on the Angels strategy here. Do they get Shohei back? And everybody just sort of assumes that ah, uh, they're not going to win there. He's going to the Dodgers. He's going somewhere else. Yeah, that that very very you know, very well may be the case, but why not the Angels? Why why can't they sell him? Hey, we didn't trade you because we love you. We want you back. We're building. Our owners recommitted here. He may he may still sign back with the Angels. I, I would not. I would not put that past him, and you won't know whether the Angels' overall strategy works or not until the offseason when you find out where Shohei Otani signs. And we praised them around the deadline for giving it one last go and not just folding up the tent and giving up. But the guys that they got, Lucas Giolito, who was considered one of the better starting pitchers, moved at the deadline. He has an ERA over eight in four starts. Randall Grichik was one of the better bats, moved at the deadline. I know that's damning with faint praise he has been terrible with his new team at leaving Colorado and it's it's not Shohei Otani's fault it's not now Mike Trout is coming back it's yeah it's probably too little too late you'll probably need something like a 30 and 7 run or whatever which I don't know if they have that in them nine games out with uh, a little over six weeks to play but for the Angels you had to you had to give it one last push because you don't know what the future holds with Otani and Coney, like you said, maybe it is, maybe it is a selling point. Hey, we we tried to keep. You. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how much the results for any team are are gonna factor into Otani's free agent decision. How much the results of this, you know, the next six weeks are gonna are gonna factor in. We just don't know. We don't know enough about the man. Uh, you know, if if the Mariners go on the run and win the division here and make some noise in the playoffs, like is that going to increase their chances? We don't know. Uh, same thing with the with the Angels here. Um, nine games out of the wild card here at the time of the recording, at least three teams in front of them. Uh, it is not happening. But if it does, it'll be one of the uh, the best late season runs of all time. And if it does, does that strengthen? The case for him to return, maybe, you know, there's maybe extra love being built in a miraculous run like that. So um, I, I'm I'm rooting for it to happen because it would, you know, be a nice heartstring story there with Trout's return. But um, the odds are certainly stacked uh, against them. Hey, people need to let you know college football is back. We're teaming up with DraftKings Sportsbook to bring you an offer that you do not want to miss new customers will receive $200 in bonus bets instantly after betting just $5 on any wagers. That's right. New customers who bet just five bucks will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Stay in on the action. Use your $200 in bonus bets on DraftKings parlays. You can combine multiple bets together for a shot at an even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You could still get in on the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy, where they offer cash prize contests for nearly every sport. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code SLAB. That's S-L-A-B. Bet five bucks on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code SLAB only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. The Angels will be coming to the East Coast this weekend. And guys, going on right now, the early to midweek series, and for the weekend, it is a week of really good matchups here. Over the weekend, the Angels will be at City Field with the Mets, the team with the uh, largest uh, hole in its wallet, that's for sure. And that's definitely going to be one of the biggest storylines of the offseason is what the Mets can provide for Shohei Otani. So Shohei Otani is going to be in Queens facing the Mets in a week of really great matchups. Where does that one, where does Otani's visit to City Field to face the Mets rank for you? Well, that's always interesting to see him come east and and see how the uh, the market reacts to him. Now, if the Mets were in it, it would be even a bigger game, obviously. And quietly, the Mets are they out of it? Wait a minute here. Let's oh, should we revisit the Mets? They're closer to the wild card than the Yankees right now. Are they six six and a half out? Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, Francisco Lindor is playing like we saw him in Cleveland. Pete Alonso's hot. Their offense is all of a sudden clicking. 
you know, like we thought they were going to click like they did last year and, and earlier this year. So it's fun to watch the Mets offensively right now, play the game. Uh, you don't want to play them right now. The Mets, you just don't the way the, the way their offense is going. So uh, that could be interesting. So Otani against that Mets lineup. That's that's swinging the bat very well right now. Very hot team. That is a great matchup Shaq. So yeah, I, I, I definitely would tune in there. I think also when you're looking at the schedule over the weekend, um, you know, the, the Reds at the Diamondbacks, interesting matchup there. I'm not sure what the pitching lineup's going to be. It's a little too far, but obviously the Dodgers at Fenway Park is a big one too. You know, I, I'd love to be at Fenway this weekend to see see the Dodgers and the Red Sox go at it, especially when you think about Mookie Betts, mm-hmm. Justin Turner, you know, that those sorts of dynamics of, of uh, ex-Dodgers that are, that are thrown into the fray. I think that's a really interesting series as well. So, yeah, Otani versus the Mets hot lineup. And then Fenway Park is the place to be as well. Yeah, it's a good slate of games coming up because even this week we have Blue Jays Orioles, huge series in the in the AL East in the in the wild card race. Uh, Giants Phillies, they're neck and neck uh, for the top two wild card spots, and uh, and Boston Houston, which already which has already gotten underway, and it's the first real test for the Red Sox in a while. And then you get into the weekend, Coney, another couple a uh, couple of series that that should be good. You have uh, Atlanta and San Francisco, so Braves Giants. That's uh, you'll be on that one, right, Coney? Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. The Giants too, great, good pitching. They're very much in it. San Francisco Giants are in it, but yeah, they're gonna have to, they're gonna have to keep keep moving in the right direction here and keep getting good pitching. Right. So then you you throw in Otani coming to Queens. Uh, now I don't know if is the, I I don't know all the ins and outs of the rules. It might be tampering, but do you think they could just bring out like a big publishers clearinghouse cardboard check that's just blank and just presented to Shohei on the field before one of these games for next year. It's not, it's not a real check. So maybe. <laughs> yeah. Billy Epler does have a really good relationship with him. And, you know, Billy Epler did land Otani for the angels. So, and Billy Epler is wired in, in the J- Japan market for potential free agents coming up too. It's pretty interesting talent that, that may or may not be posted as we, as, as we wait to get into the offseason and find that out. But I know Billy Epler has a really good relationship with Shohei Atani. So that, that's an interesting follow moving forward. I'll say this. For for two teams who the, the sand of the hourglass seems to be running out on here, uh, that that's as intriguing of a weekend series and setting as you can get in at this point in late August. I, though, am going to be fixated uh, on Friday night at Fenway Park, Dodgers, Red Sox, and Mookie Betts' return to Fenway. I'm really curious to see what the reception is going to be like for him in the series opener on Friday. It's that first plate appearance for me that I'm really wondered about. And the games actually mean something for the Red Sox as well. So it's about beating Mookie Betts more than it is about welcoming him back for me. Uh, but yeah, I'm focused on that first at-bat for Mookie, the reception he receives there. But for whatever reason, like I said, two teams that are on the outside looking in and, I, you know, not even that close, right? The, the deficit that, that, that both the Mets and the Angels have to make up, it is very large here. But if Otani has this outstanding series at City Field, a banger of a performance in New York City, it is something that's probably going to bring out uh, the New York in me, for sure. It's probably a biased take, too, because there are a lot more meaningful series out there this week. But it's just going to strengthen that narrative, right? Look, Have us look closer and closer and tour the offseason about what the Mets could provide Shohei Otani here. So uh, I feel what I feel there with, uh, with Otani and the Mets. Six and a half. Six and a half back. Yeah. Six and a half back. Who would that be? What team is six and a half back for the wild card right now? Uh, not the New York Yankees. New York Mets. <laughs> yes. New York Mets. <laughs> six Mets. and a half. Huh? Yeah. Mm. No, that can't be. Mm. <laughs> Playing pretty well. Mm. New York Mets. Mm. I don't September, know. September, baby. I don't know. That's right. September baseball gets weird. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Francisco Lindor looks like he did with Cleveland. Finally. The Mets mm-hmm. are finally seeing. The Mets fan base are finally seeing the Francisco Lindor that we saw with when all those years with Cleveland when he's beating up on the Yankees. Every time he came into to Yankee Stadium, it's like this guy's the best player in the game, you know, or at least one of the top five. We have the Mets. Mets fan base hasn't seen that. They're starting to see that now for the first time. Yeah, he's great. And I think, and, and one quick thing with uh, back to Mookie, you got to think the Boston fans will give him a big pop and a big warm, nice welcome 
because I feel like a lot of the reaction around bets in Boston is fury with the front office for trading him away. So now he'll get a hero's welcome coming back to Boston. We wish you were never traded away. Yeah, I think it'll be positive for sure. Uh, I think Red Sox fans are smart enough to see what what has gone on there. It was a peculiar move, obviously, but I think they're 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 smart enough to see that he wanted to stay in Boston or at least was open to it. Uh, and he, you know, he was traded away because that's the direction ownership wanted to go in. Um, let's talk about the Yankees guys. It's a, uh, it's tough to talk about this team at the moment. It's, it's generation, uh, generationally disappointing for the Yankees and, and their fans this season, but reports. And it came from the great Jack Curry at the S yes network on Monday. He says that Everson Pereira and Oswald Peraza will be with the Yankees for the start of their series with the Nationals this week. Point blank, what kind of opportunity will this be for the Yankees, not the young players, for the team? Yeah, it's a two-way street. It's a great point, Jack. Uh, the Yankees have a need to find out what they have. It's inventory time if you're the Yankees. So, yes, the first two moves are guys that are going to play. You're not calling these guys up. Before the September call-ups, by the way, uh, you've got to find, uh, you know, at least 25, 26 man roster spots for them. Now you're not calling them up to, to, to not put them in the lineup. So yeah, it's time to find out Yankees need outfielders, uh, maybe a little bit of a spark in the middle of a long losing streak. The offensive uh, struggles are, are well-documented. So let's get some good young athlete athletes up here. And that's kind of what you're going to see. Right. And that, that's what I started my open up with is uh what type of players do you want to see in the game today? Or is there a trend that's kind of going towards more athleticism? Well, that's that's Peraza and Pereira, two very good young athletes that we're going to get a chance to see play. The next two in line are probably, I don't know if Jason Dominguez is ready. He got bumped up to AAA, recently hot in AA. He's the Martian. He's the guy everybody kind of wants to see, you know, that five-tool guy, you know, the, the power and the speed combination that, that to me is – prevalent in the game today that you really you really want to see power and speed guys uh you know jason dominguez is that guy um, oswald peraza can potentially be that guy he's got some pop on his bat he's got some speed i'm anxious to see everson pereira i'm not sure the speed side he does have some stolen bases not he's not racking up the huge numbers uh defensively he's kind of been ranked kind of averagey at all three positions defensively but offensively huge pop huge bat speed 22 years old, very athletic. I mean, that's what we want to see. You know, it's time. It's time for the Yankees to take inventory and find out who's next. I'm already thinking about who's next in the September, uh, September call-ups. We're going to see Austin Wells, you know, the, the left-handed hitting catcher who's got a big league bat right now. Um, it'd be interesting, you know, to follow. But, yes, it, it's a move that had to be made, probably should have been made sooner. But they're here, and they're going to play. And um, not a moment too soon. When the team disappoints at the big league level at the level that they've that they have this year now, much earlier than everyone would have anticipated, you're getting into evaluation for 2024 mode. And now you're going to get a, a, a window into seeing what these guys can do. Not that you're going to write off somebody if they have a, a rough 30 games or whatever, but you're, you get to say, OK, Everson Pereira, you're going to be playing as the regular left fielder almost every day and Peraza, whether it's moving around positions or what have you, he's going to get some run too. And I know a lot of people have been hoping that Peraza would get some run just because it didn't happen in the last month or so. It doesn't mean that they're giving up on him and it doesn't mean that there is never going to be a chance for him because he's getting it right now. As far as this is what happened when your guys in the minor leagues that might be able to help you the most aren't really at the high AAA level yet because Pereira he only moved up to AAA in early July. So he wasn't going to jump straight to the major leagues when there might have been an opening in left field. Jason Dominguez has been on the radar for years, but in the low minors. And he's he's climbing the ladder, but was he ever really going to be a 2023 impact guy? No, but you have to think that he's going to be in the picture for 2024, you hope. I feel like for fans at this moment, they're 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 hearing the reports and the conventionalism says these these young players need to be playing every day and all likelihood they will. But 
it's like a believe it until I see it type thing because the Yankees for so long have kind of been immune to this situation. So you don't know how they're going to act toward these late season peaks at some of the younger, younger players, but also when a guy like Peraza may be getting an extended look, figure into that infield rotation earlier this season it really didn't happen so i feel like there is that hey i'll believe it when i see it mindset i need to see it. i need them in the lineup and i need to see it physically every day if these players do not play regularly and again i don't think this will be the case i think they will be in there regularly then it uh it would be another massive miss for this team in a season which there have sadly been a lot of misses but i think that mindset has finally shifted you need to focus on the guys who you think may help you in uh the future and i'm with you david a lot of people were saying a month ago but uh not a moment too soon here zero reason not to do it and i think by september 1st you'll see austin wells as well they just don't want to lose a catcher when they don't need to and they have another week to go here uh there was something else that happened last week right around the time we released our episode so we didn't have time to touch on it but ben ruda who's a former yankee minor leaguer they, they lost him to the Padres in the Rule 5 draft, and this is going back a couple of years, two, three years ago. He went on the foul territory platform, and they were talking about drilling those aspects of the game into Yankee minor leaguers without and, and kind of getting away from teaching how to play baseball to to these minor leaguers that that was what Ben Ruda was getting to the point to so he wasn't saying like this is a bad approach but they got so far away from teaching fundamentals that area of the game to focusing so much time and effort on stuff that are that is good good information and there wasn't that balance is this another point here is a former Yankee uh, minor leaguer essentially blowing the whistle on how player development operates does it present another real reason that forces this this franchise to take a hard look in the mirror i think every organization is <clears throat> is taking a hard look in the mirror right now um as far as uh, you know by the former minor leaguer i know brian cashman would refute that he would say we're not all analytical we we have baseball people up and down the organization but with all that being said the question moving forward is how much, how important is athleticism and speed and speed and power? And if you're just developing one side, the power side, hit the ball as hard as you can, throw the ball as hard as you can, are you missing out on another side of the game that's evolving because of the rules changes and because of the way young teams are having success, whether it's the Baltimore Orioles or the Cincinnati Reds, the type of athletes that we're seeing in, in their lineups nowadays is kind of providing the prototype of moving forward of what you should be looking for, what you should be drafting, what you should be developing. And yes, I think organizationally, the philosophies are kind of going back to the drawing board. And there's nothing wrong with exit velocity. There's nothing wrong with hitting the ball hard. There's nothing wrong with teaching, driving the baseball. I get it. Of course you do. You want to hit the ball in the gaps. You want to hit the ball over the wall. You want to hit pitches that are in the middle of the plate really hard. I get it. And pitching velocity. Absolutely. If I'm, if I were in today's game training, I would be throwing plyo balls. I'd be trying, I'd be chasing velocity. I'd be trying to build arm strength more than ever before, but you don't want to lose sight of the craft of pitching either. So you, you still have to have that balance. So balance pitching wise, balance hitting wise, organizationally. I don't know, unless you're, unless you're there, I don't know what's really going on. That's one minor leaguer's opinion who's now no longer with the organization, but yeah, I, I'm definitely going back to the drawing board. Uh, after one year of rules changes and trying to project moving forward, what's going to be successful, what's not. And not only that, how about the entertainment value? It's not just about Uber efficiency, about, hey, wait a minute, this is, you know, we, we're going with talent. You know, we're going to go on the analytics side. We're going to identify talent, which is velocity pitching wise. It's exit velocity hitting wise. That's what we're chasing. Uh, what about the entertainment value? We're in the entertainment business. Players that can run. Players that field their position, players that can run the bases. That, that's what fans want to see, right? So don't lose sight of the entertainment value at the expense of uber-efficient analytics. And you, you guys know me. I love analytics. I would use every tool at my disposal today. I lo love to learn. I have a growth mentality. But, you know, uh, there is a place for we are in the entertainment business. And what do you want to watch? What do fans 
light up. They light up seeing a triple. They light up seeing a stolen base. They light up seeing a shortstop diving up the middle and jumping up and throwing to first base. You know, th- these things matter, you know, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, at the end of the day, it's a high ticket price and we're competing in the entertainment industry. At the same time though, a lot of times now, and you're seeing it more so with this year being a disappointment for the Yankees analytics has become kind of just like a pointless buzzword for thing. I don't like, and right. for Ruta, First of all, it's a misconception of what some of these stats even do because he said that expected average, expected slug, expected OPS, all those things ignore strikeouts. They do not at all. It takes the batted ball metrics, then folds in the strikeouts to give you the expected number. So if you have, if you and I have the same exact batted ball metrics, but your strikeout rate is much lower than mine, my expected numbers will be worse because I'll have more strikeouts baked in. And if you look at some of these numbers, here are some of the league leaders here. Aaron Judge, Ronald Acuna Jr., Corey Seager, Shohei Otani, Jordan Alvarez, Mookie Betts. That's your top six. They're doing something right. And are we seeing Anthony Volpe and Oswald Peraza be fundamentally bad? Do they not know how to play baseball? We're going to get a look at some of these guys. If we're going to see an Everson Pereira play for the last six weeks of the season, are, are we going to see some guy fumbling around not knowing the fundamentals of the game? I, until you see that, I don't think there's going to be any fruit to the idea of, oh, well, the Yankees, it's not enough that they haven't had enough position players you know, blossom at the big league level. Now we have to say that they don't know how to play. Sometimes a team just loses and not, it doesn't mean that there's some sort of moral failing to how they play. Love it, James. Well said, well said, well done all the way across. I like that moral failing. You can use that moving forward. Thanks, James. Um, yeah, it's it's just a, a another bullet point, I, I guess, for for this season that has uh, not gone right, not not gone the way everyone has planned, and uh, the next six weeks or so definitely provide uh, with Herrera, with Peraza, potentially Austin Wells provides a little bit more excitement, I think, for uh, for this Yankees team and organization moving forward. All right, guys, that's going to do it here for this episode this week. Be sure to catch Coney in San Francisco this weekend, Sunday Night Baseball, Giants and Braves, one of many exciting series. We're going to be locked in on that. We're going to be locked in on Red Sox-Dodgers. For some of us, Shohei Otani and the Angels uh, against the Mets over at Citi Field. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you don't miss a thing of what we're streaming each and every week. For David Cohn, for James Smythe, our terrific producer, Dan Rourke. This is Justin Shackle. We will talk to you next week on Toe on the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn, as always, a production of John Boy Media. Take care, everybody.